And I said to the healing man, just finger me and be done with it. Oh, yeah. Like crying out loud, you've been there for like six hours. You've gone through all of the red tape paperwork bullshit to even get the procedure. Just stick it in and be done. Yeah. Just, yeah. just get it over and done with at that point, uh, because otherwise you just you're just being a tease if they make you wait any longer. Well, exactly. I mean, he promised me in and out. And in the end, I got it. So I'm, I'm happy it was done. But you were not in and out with your in and out. Well, yeah, I mean, it just makes you worry about the future. You know what I'm talking about? It's like I always like to say, ha ha, democracy. I don't get it, but my kids will love it. <laughs> so anyway, anyway, I was telling Conrad about something yesterday. If you'd, if you'd indulge me. Mm. I don't want to like steer this too off course, but if you'd indulge me. I indulge you. Would you indulge me, Laura Kate Dale? That I will. I'll indulge you. Brilliant. For you, I'll indulge. Right, let's walk down this staircase, although I warn you it might be a bit spirally because of... Well, it makes it sound deep, doesn't it? <laughs> right. Well, I've been re-watching The Office a lot and thinking about it a lot because it's a very good show and I like it a lot. And... I fell down a, a well. <laughs> I didn't realise where this was headed, but now that I know where it's headed... <laughs> Go on. Oh, yeah. I didn't even tell you all of them. Oh, God. So I fell down a well of the office fan theories. Oh. And other discussions. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Phantoms will ruin anything. Even just a fucking sitcom. Oh, one million percent. So there are many interesting fan theories. And by interesting fan theories, I mean sometimes they were just jokes in a show. And you don't have to overthink them all. Yeah. But some of them are kind of like, oh, Pam never failed art school when she said she were uh, did so she could go and be with Jim. There's like little things like that. I'm like, okay. Yeah. You know, you've added a little bit of fan poetry to it. Why not? However, Meredith is Pam from an alternate timeline where she married Roy. <laughs> a theory which, by the way, doesn't explain why she's there. <laughs> Less convincing. Oh, uh, I'm I'm looking at the fan theories now. <laughs> some good stuff. You've got me down the rabbit hole now. One theory is that it's even though it's presented like a documentary in universe, it's a reality show like Road Rules Northern Trail or Duck Dynasty. Yeah. Another one posits it's an actual in-universe sitcom written by Jim Halper to <laughs> self-insert and make himself the hero who gets the girl. <laughs> Uh, that is an interesting one as well. Another one is that Stanley died when he had his heart attack in one season and the rest of the show is in purgatory, which is why the character sort of devolved into cartoony versions of himself. Yeah, this is the one that I was looking at where I was like, mm, actually, I kind of want to read these trash theories. Yeah, 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 yeah that, that's nonsense, but it's great nonsense. Expanding from that, there's a wider theory that all of Michael Scher's show, I think it's his name, right, Michael Scher? Yeah. All of his shows take place in a shared universe called the Sherverse. The Sherniverse. Where, where uh, The Office, uh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and uh, Parks and Recreation all take place in the same universe as The Good Place. Where there's a cosmology, yeah. 
I'm reading one now. <sighs> all of the employees in the company are suffering from radon poisoning, and that's why they all act so wacky and silly. <laughs> they've all got radiation poisoning, and they're all. That's it. why they're a wacky cast it. of characters. Some of the videos are amazing, though, where it's like, <laughs> where it's like, like the Meredith one, where they point at like two different episodes where there's like one joke where Meredith is hitting on Jim, another one where she says she's scared of him. Just two throwaway joke lines. But then they tie them together and say, right, this signifies there's some connection between Meredith and Jim. Which makes sense if she's from an alternate dimension. I love it! Did you know that apparently The Office exists in the same universe as that murder series Dexter about the murderer who murders people? Yes, yes, there, there are, there's a fictional <laughs> Sabre printer brand in both shows, yes. Yeah. Uh, Dexter, <laughs> De- Dexter is, is indeed a... Uh, yeah. yeah, on a related note, the Scranton Strangler, even though that was fully resolved in the show, has many suspects that is hotly debated. I was looking at one article that's like 20 fan theories, and like eight Excellent. of them were, this person's the Strangler, mm-hmm. nah, this one is! That was like half the list was Strangler theories. There was one video I stumbled onto that was like, 10 theories that you need to know about The Office, and I thought, right, well, fucking hell, I'm in. Right. If this is a need-to-know basis, sign me up because I need to know. And all it was was just constant references to the jokes where it's very heavily implied that Creed murdered someone, which is a regular joke in the show for a joke. And it's just them looking at those scenes and saying, now why would he run from the office if he didn't kill someone? Because that was the joke. Why why can't people take things just as they are sometimes? 100 plot holes and inconsistencies in NBC's The Office. I'll watch that one, don't you worry about it. Oh my god, are you suggesting that this uh, situation comedy didn't have internal logic at all times? This nearly decade-long sitcom. They weren't fact-checking the the internal law and canon. I mean, how else do you explain such a fucking blunder as, as Pam saying that she faked PMS to get out of volleyball but then in a later season she's really good at it and played it a lot in high school and college how do you explain that how do you explain someone faking to get out of something that they're good at one time how do you even plot holes and inconsistencies like and subscribe please Oh, goodness. I, I've just seen one that's like the most shocking office fan theory you're ever going to see. They're never that shocking. It's not a fan theory. It's kind of a box standard observation, which is, hey, Jim's really mean to Dwight. Yeah. Like a lot of his things that are played off as lighthearted goofs, they're real fucking mean if you did that to a real person. Apparently that's a mind-blowing fan theory. It's a, I tell you what, right? That... That makes me see The Office in a totally different light. Oh. It makes sense when there when there's jokes in the show about how oh, like disproportionate what Jim does is. That makes those jokes make sense to me now because in a way they're kind of true. It's almost like it is a bit overreacting to maybe in case someone's whole desk in jelly. Maybe that's a bit too much. I tell you what, right? I stumbled on some other things. Can you guess, right? What character isn't liked by a lot of the office phantom? <gasps> For bullshit reasons that don't make sense. I don't know. Which one? Well, I stumbled on one YouTube video on YouTube.com, which should tell you a lot already, titled, Why Do Fans Hate Pam Beasley? 
Hmm. Hmm. I've got my own wild theory you need to know about that one. But the video in, instead sort of gave us a list. And, and to be fair, the video was like, you know, completely fence-sitting and centrist about it. It made no, no call one way or the other. Um, but the lists of, of other people's grievances that were put in the video were things, basically, things she's done that Jim has also done. Yeah. Plus... Time she complained about things Jim has done. <laughs> I mean, shock and surprise. I wonder if there's a connecting thread as to why people don't like those attributes in her. It's a mystery. Uh, she's mean sometimes. <laughs> it's the fucking obvious. <sighs> I'll tell you what, fandoms ruin everything. I really like The Office, and, and, and I've got no intention of taking it any further than, like, once every year or so watching through it and then thinking about it a lot. <laughs> but my God, my God, some late night rabbit holes. Like that's a new avenue of entertainment for me. I do enjoy bad, bad theory holes occasionally. That, yeah, that and chimpanzees going hog wild, right? Those are my two new late night YouTube rabbit holes. Don't go too deep down either of them. They both end up at the same place. Looks a bit like Bosch's hell. Uh, you mean the alt-right pipeline? That's where both of those wind up. Yeah, yeah. It always goes down to hate and Pam Beasley or monkey banging. <laughs> it's the alt-right slip and slide. Once you start moving, you're inevitably gonna just slide right onto the end. The algorithm, am I right? Oh, oh. Absolutely. Chimpanzees aren't, aren't monkeys, of course. I should just point that out. They hunt monkeys and then just smack them against trees. <laughs> Chimps go hog wild. So, hey, welcome to Podquisition, everyone's favourite video game podcast that remembers to talk about video games every now and then and tells you whether they're great or perfect. That's a reality show. What's a reality show? Us or the chimp thing you're on about? Let's, let's not dwell on the chimps, come on. <laughs> it's like my grandmother used to say, let's not dwell on the chimps. Um, and, and let's not make them fight monkeys. Oh, we got some video games to talk about this week. Oh, fuck, what? We got a few of them video games. <sighs> Christ God sake, damn it. Laura! What the hell are those? I don't know, but we did one of them together just after recording Podquisition last week. Well, that's true, we did. Oh, God, we did that, was that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah we played some Jackbox 7 on uh, Conrad's stream. Where can people watch you on Twitch, Conrad? Oh, uh, twitch.tv slash thatconradzimmerman, Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 2 p.m. Eastern. Mm. That's when and where? God! That sounds great. I hope your live streams are good. Yeah, they are. They sometimes have us on them, too. Jesus Christ. I'm gobsmacked, and I want to sign up <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we played some Jackbox 7, which is that series of games where you play things with your phone and there's a bunch of different games in them. Mm. We had some fun. I'm pulling up the list. What... What were the games in Jackbox 7? There was another Quiplash. Yeah, which is, it's more Quiplash. And it's fine. I know it's not Jim's cup of tea. I fucking, it's, oh God, preconstructed comedy. Can't do it, right? If I'm funny, right, it's because I said something fucking funny. It's not because someone gave me a lollipop stick with a prompt written on it. I've always been a fan of Quiplash. I like a good bit of Quiplash and... I mean, there's not much exciting to say about Quiplash 3 other than it's more Quiplash fill in the blank, say the funny word at the end of the sentence. Yep. The devils and the details. This game is probably a lot of fun. 
if you're not trying to entertain people on a stream while you do it. Yeah, this looks like a good fun one to do with friends sat in the same room, Yeah, not one to do while you're streaming. It's the closest I've seen, like I've not played much Jackbox, I've only really played it with you folks this and, and sort of in previous streams, maybe even just the ones, but... That one seemed the closest I've, I've ever seen it to being like a game game, mm. like a mechanical game rather than like a party game. The issue for anyone who's not seen Devils in the Detail is most chatbox games have an on TV element where you do something on your phone and then it's sent to the TV for everyone to see, which makes them good for streaming. This one... It's like a scoreboard. Yeah. Everyone's got tasks to do on their phone. Some of the tasks will need you to do the same thing at the, at the same time as someone else. So there's a lot of shouting back and forth between people. And then there's also these bad tasks that you can do to get yourself bonus points, but you're not helping the rest of the team and they've got to notice you're doing them and try and stop you. It is a fun little mechanical thing that does not work on stream. Yeah, it, it's neat because there's, you know, little... I mean, it's it's like um, WarioWare level depth minigame things that you do. It's asynchronous stuff often. It'll be like, um, Conrad might be describing the, the side of a book and I'm looking through a pile of books trying to find it based on his description. Right, or identifying the right noodle in a pile of pasta that you, you want, or... One of you's got a map and the other's driving a car and you're... Or trying to direct them down the road to the thing. Yeah. And they're often tasks that require you to be focusing and paying attention, which makes it really easy to slip in those. I'm going to go steal the sweets from the sweetie jar. And of the games in here, it is the one that I think suffers least from having fewer players. Yeah. It's still going to be sort of madcap and crazy if there's only three of you. I expect that it could escalate with more, but it still felt like a pretty, you know, fun experience that would, you know, doesn't need a whole lot of people to play it and be fun. A lot of these games, as much fun as we had with them, probably would have been more fun with a larger group. Mm -hmm. This one with three was already chaotic enough. Yeah, so that one wasn't bad. Uh, then there was Champed Up. Yeah. Yeah. This is another one of their, like, drawing ones they like to do. They'll give you a prompt that's something like, draw the champion of, um, creepy smiles, or the champion of too many tentacles, and you draw your little wrestling character, and they, everyone has to vote on which one's the best, and... Yeah. Uh, the wrestling gimmick they have in there is basically, they'll come up with new prompts sometimes, and if you go, oh shit, this drawing isn't a good fit for that prompt, you can tag out and tag in one of your other drawings, like, midway through the round to try and be like I think that's a better fit maybe I mean it was it was it was fine it was it was a serviceable one I didn't have any particularly like amazing lingering thoughts about it no it was it was fine I mean I like the I kind of like the way it's structured that you'll draw a character designed to meet a certain challenge, and then the other players only see the character, but not the challenge. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so you've got to draw a competitor not based on knowing what the round is, but, like, that's who I'm fighting. What's a better version of that? Right. Or what could beat that? And then you see the prompt blind afterwards. So that's, yeah, it's kind of neat. I do think that one really just on rotation of ideas and having more... Uh, variety in there uh, to do matchups can make it more interesting. Uh, but it was fun. The ones I think I enjoyed most in this collection are the last two we're going to get to. Mm -hmm. Talking Points was a lot of fun. Yes. Yes, that one I did like. That's why I'm talking now. Hello. <laughs> yeah, do you want to tell us what Talking Points is? Yeah. It's good. You got to come up with a talk. Basically, you come up with a title for a talk and then someone has to give that talk 
while someone is feeding them pictures <laughs> and then they've got to try and build the talk around the pictures and, and other sort of verbal prompts given to them. So it's like, I want to relate to you this story. Then they'll show you a picture of like, I don't know, like a sheep in a bathtub. And then you're like, oh, well, I've just said I've got to tell a story about this sheep in a bathtub and then you come up with something for it. Yeah. And you come up with really good talks about how you want to bang Jonathan. Yeah. The assistant can, you know, either sort of help you along the line of reasoning that you're going down with whatever picture or prompt they come up with, or they can just throw you some ridiculous curveball that you then have to adapt to. Much more often throw the curveball. Yeah. You'll have, you know, your talk might be why Podquisition is the best video game podcast there is, and you start doing your talk and suddenly there's a picture of, um, I don't know, there's a there's a granny doing a cartwheel behind you and you've got to try and make that relevant to the talk you're giving. Oh, and there's some excellent, excellent stock footage or stock photos in there. Like the one of the guy having a sort of nice steak dinner while a cow <laughs> stands next to it looking on and, and lovingly like almost nuzzling him. It's just so strange. That one like the the thing that makes it work is the ability you have to completely trip up the person who is trying to ad-lib and force them to think on the spot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a lot of fun trying to go, oh shit, I have half a second to work out why this is something. Yeah. Yep, that one's fun. Yeah, it's just talking bullshit. <laughs> and then blather around. Deceptively fun. Yeah, you have, you get to select uh, from three options and I think you can, like, shuffle them one time to get three different options of very difficulty and they're you know people places things and weirdly specific in some cases you know a lot of brand names in there yeah. which makes me curious yeah like there's a few times where like it, oh it's not going to be nintendo switch but no apparently it was like there's a lot of branded stuff in there and you know brands are so much of our pop culture now that on the one hand yeah it makes sense to do that and on the other hand i want to know <laughs> i'll say this Brands are things that are immediately identifiable and that you can have a certain degree of confidence that the people around the room will know the thing that you're trying to hint them at. And that is that is something yeah. in its benefit. And so the way you supply these hints is that you'll get lists of words that you compose sentences from to describe the thing that is there. And it alternates between, you know, making a sentence with some very limited word choices and then having to use the guesses that the other players have made to say, well, it's kind of like this, or it's not at all like that, or this is bigger than that, you know, and and, and you, you narrow it down and winnow the selection. But it, it's, it's sort of a cross between 20 questions and I have no mouth and I'm a screen. <laughs> Yeah! It's a lot of, like, trying to describe... Like, the one I, I remember was trying to um, describe the movie Matilda, and I was like, uh, it's the magic... the magic child... The orphan, the orphan happens. And it adds so many these and stuff to it as well that it turns it into extra gibberish. It is real hard to pass what is being said. And it's like the clues in there, you... And so I think the strength of it is even when we didn't get what the prompt was, every time we saw the answer, we we're always like, oh, of course, I see exactly what you were doing with your clues. Yeah. I feel like it doles out 
better, deliberately gives you better things that you can use as clues towards the end in terms of its balancing, because lots of times, right as the last five seconds were going, it's like, that's that's the clue, I know what the thing is, can I type it out? Yeah. And there's a, I think there's also an element of, you know, churning out information as quickly as you can, which there's a risk involved in doing that because you can add noise or add confusion, but also it gives you an opportunity to maybe to get some of those better prompts faster and afford more time to, uh, you know, narrow it down it's it's fun and it's kind of it's pretty tense for for what it is um i really like it a lot yeah that that might be my i don't know talking points is really good i think talking points needs four maybe six players to really really work because also the judging and voting and things like that has no value with only three three here's the thing three people worked because we had an audience Mm mm-hmm yeah. I, I don't think it would have worked so well with just the three of us. Yeah, definitely. Um, Blather Round, again, was one that worked really well. Like, even without an audience, I think it would have worked really well with three people. Now, there is one thing I will point out. Blather Round is the game that says <laughs> <laughs> that it is always all ages appropriate. <laughs> uh, and I think I can save the VOD from, I, I haven't done it yet, but I need to go back and save the VOD of us playing this. Yeah, we need, particularly we need the VOD of, the one where you were trying to do the fidget spinner. Mm. Oh yeah. Was it, was it you that was giving the clue of the fidget spinner? I believe it was me giving the clues. Yeah. And every single guess that me and Jim had the whole way through was penis, because every clue sounded like a penis. Yeah, eventually guesses became things like, oh come on because it just it, would, it was relentless yeah like i i debate the assertion that this game is always family friendly yeah we couldn't we couldn't steer it to safe work territory if we tried <laughs> yeah we, we we had a we had a fun night with this like as is always the case with the jackbox pack the games are of mixed quality there's always a few where i'm like these are the standouts from a particular jackbox and these are the ones I'm probably not going to come back to. But yeah, it's interesting because while I thought that Champed Up would be the one that I come away from this being the most interested in, yeah, it might be the one I like least. I didn't have a bad time with it by any means. No, but it, not at all. It's here's the thing. That's probably the least interesting thing in this party pack, with the exception of uh, Devils in the Detail as a streaming game, but it's still better than the worst games in a lot of Jackboxes. Yeah. There have been Jackboxes with worse games than this, by far. Yeah. Solid pack. Yeah. This is one of the more consistent, like, there's not one in here I would go, that's that's a bad game that I will never play. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was some fun we had last week. Yeah. Who else has played something else this week? Jim, you've played some stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah. You've played miscellaneous. I've played miscellaneous. I've played a bit of Vigil. Because mm. I know Conrad... Well, I, I talked about Vigil many years ago. Conrad was telling me about it because it's come out now. Uh, Casey was talking a lot about it. I played a bit. It's a very, very good game with a checkpoint system mm. that makes me switch it off every time I die. It's a very good game, but... The, the sheer loss of progress upon death. I've not got very far for the simple fact that that happens, and unlike with some other games where I want to jump back in, I'm like, okay, that's that's what we've got for right now, fine. Sometimes I'll end a, a session having done nothing. <laughs> I'll just play for a bit, die, and be like, okay. Huh. 
Yeah. It, it, I've, you know, obviously there's the Souls comparisons that are going to get made to that game, and it looks like a fun challenge. It looks exhausting, I will say. It looks very tiring to play. Yeah, I'm not in a rush to get to it. Uh, yeah, it's no statement on its quality, but because I, I find all of these games exhausting now. It does look well made. Yeah, it's got this sort of cross between like a Castlevania, like Bloodstained and, and Bloodborne. Mm-hmm. But it is sort of more of a Bloodborne style game, but without a chance to regain any sort of sense of progress after you die. Yeah. Which, you know, is very risk rewarded. Some people will absolutely love it. Um, you do get some a limited capacity to create some of your own checkpoints, although I've, you know, I've, I've, I've no idea right now what the optimum time to do that is. Yeah, it's the problem I had with Ori in the Blind Forest letting me make my own checkpoints, is I didn't know where was good places for checkpoints, and as a result, constantly was like, I never feel like I have checkpoints because I used them wrong. Yeah, and it's, you know, I'm really super early. But I just, I don't quite have time. <laughs> yeah. I don't quite have time for that right now, especially when I'm in a, you know, the last time I died, I um, ran out of stamina and was able to take two hits from an enemy that attacks once every few long seconds. And I, I could do nothing but stand there and take both of them and then die in two hits. And then I was like, okay, no ill will. Good game. The game looks visually interesting. I'm liking the look of all the screenshots. It's got sort of a, a 3D uh, protagonist model. Yeah. And a couple of 3D effects. Uh, the rest of it, I think, is most of it is hand-drawn. Sort of enemies and everything. But it, it all looks like it belongs together. It, it, the, the 3D protagonist doesn't stand out like you'd imagine in some of these games mm. i'm gonna give it more more time i'm not a patient person and it got off on the wrong foot with me but i, I really want to like it it's, it's got a lot to it it's not at all hiding exactly how inspired by fucking bloodborne it is right down to the loading screens looking the same but it looks real nice has some real uh, really good music and the combat's good it's it's got a real precision to it which you sometimes don't get with games like this especially with your more hand-drawn things that look a little more paper doll in terms of character models and their animations um you don't often get a sense of precision but there's something real uh, you know what you're hitting mm. with this which you don't sometimes get so, yeah, I want to do more of it. It's just... Yeah. I think I've been spoiled by Hades and the fact that you're always progressing and unlocking. Like, every run feels worth it. Yeah, I thought that might be where you were with it. Yeah. yeah. I've gone back to sort of feeling like I'm having significant amounts of my time <laughs> just gone. Um, well, yeah. if that's where you're at. I did just start, like, an hour before Podquisition started. I just started playing a game that may be a little more what you're looking for mm. at this point. Yeah, because I still haven't found it. It's Scourgebringer? Yeah, I, I've played, like, 20 minutes of this, and I'm really interested to hear what you think about it, Conrad. Yeah, I'm only about 45 in, because this was one of those, oh, crap, I didn't play any games this week. I need something to talk about on Podquisition. Let's open up Xbox Game Pass and see what's there. <laughs> and it reminds me a lot of Samurai Gun, mm. which if you re may recall, it that's, oh gosh, that's probably seven, eight years old now. But it was a an arena fighting game that was sort of Bushido Blade with a uh, very low resolution sprite 
aesthetic. Mm. So there's a lot of dashing around doing instant kills. This is not instant kills, but it is that sort of sword flying around, dashing, slashing up enemies action. And you travel through this grid of rooms, one to the next, jumping around, hopping from one enemy to the next. It's got a really cool stun mechanic for enemies where enemies telegraph that they're about to do an attack with an exclamation point over their head. If you can get to them before they execute that, you'll stun them, get to do a bunch of damage. And so there's a lot of gameplay wrapped up around exploiting that mechanic, which is really cool. And as you go, you'll pick up items in rooms from killing enemies. You collect a currency, uh, which is blood that you can exchange at shops in there. Um, there's altars that will give you boons effectively, seemingly once per set of levels. It's about 20 rooms in the 22 rooms per stage. Uh, so it's sort of a meaty stage and there's some challenge. It took me like, I think, six attempts before I beat the first area. Uh, which I've done once just before we recorded, then went into the new one, survived like four rooms and died because that's how these games go. Yeah. But you do get to carry over a special blood item that allows you to unlock ranks in a skill tree that gives you progressively more interesting abilities and ways to leverage your basic maneuvers. So the heavy attack that you use to stun enemies very quickly can also be used to reflect projectile attacks or use enemies to knock them into other enemies and deal damage. It does seem to have a wall hit damage element to it, which I like uh, anytime that sort of thing comes up. It's not anything we haven't seen before, really, although it does feel like a pretty cool... It, it, it feels like Metroid meets Samurai Gun in a lot of ways and i like the vibe i like the aesthetic the music's pretty good although there isn't a lot to it uh so far it is a little repetitive but i'm not bothered by that because it's got a good hook yeah i've been having a good time with it so far i've not played much of it at all but color palette some really nice use of colors in there and my, my most immediate takeaway is that very quickly, I feel like I'm I'm very powerful and cool. Yeah. Like, it nails that thing of right from the start, I feel like I'm already competent and like I'm doing cool shit. Right. And that's, that's something that I like in this kind of game, that there is a baseline that my skill is the determining factor of. Mm. And it is fast-paced. It's fast-paced in the way that Hades is a lot of the time, because you are very quickly zipping from one group of enemies to the next, trying to see if you can get to that enemy quickly enough to hit it before it fires a projectile in your direction and possibly fucks your day up. It very much lets me play it the way I like to play Hades, which is my super speedy hit everything with the fists build. It It's just get, getting close and hit things real fast. Yeah, that, that is something I'm there is a gun and it seems like there's a lot of the you know pickups are geared towards using different guns or enhancing guns and i gotta be honest the gun's a bit much for me right now i have no interest in the gun i'm starting to get into the 
a habit of just pulling the trigger occasionally as I'm doing the fighting because the way that the gun works is your ammunition is restored by doing the melee combat that I'm gonna be doing anyway. Mm. I might as well get the extra DPS, but I, I'm not thinking about it. It's not part of my strategy. The blade is the cool part of the moveset. Like, there's a reason that the box art for this game, as it were, just shows the character with the sword, doesn't show them with the gun, because who the fuck cares about the gun? The sword is where it's at. Yeah. 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 It's a fun little thing that happens to me on Game Pass, if you've got that already. Yeah, that's that's kind of where I am right now. It's, it's yeah. pretty fun. It, it's worth checking out. At the very least, especially yeah. if you have Game Pass already. I mean, it's, it came out like last week on the 21st. Yeah. Yeah. I played some things this week. Mm. I played some 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 new things. Um, I'll get this one out of the way because I can say barely anything about it. I've got an Xbox Series X in the office. Ooh. Right now, I embargoes are a fun thing. I can't tell you anything about my experience after I turned it on, but... I can tell you about, like, what the box is like and the controller is like, having definitely not plugged them in. It is a real hefty machine. Like, the first word that comes to mind getting that that Xbox out, out of its box is it feels dense. There is no empty space in this thing. It feels very solid and very just ram-packed with stuff. Interestingly, if you've seen the sort of design, like the mini-fridge design with the holes in the top... Mm-hmm. There is nothing between those holes and the fan. Oh. Which is gonna be a consideration to keep in mind if you've got children who will put crayons down there, because they are perfectly crayon-sized holes. Or, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, naming any names, but any adults that also might want to put crayons, put crayons in. in. I yeah, mean, not me. Yeah, n- not you, not you. Mm. Yeah, there's no dust trap, and there's no, there's it literally down the hole is the fan. So if you were to drop things in there, it will drop into the fan, which is a consideration people should probably have. If you live in a dust, if you have cats, if you live in a dusty environment, that shit's gonna clog up quick. I I know that um from a teardown video they had of the PS5 that at least has like here are some designated holes that if dust gets in the machine you can put your vacuum cleaner on here and it'll suck the dust out and this is where the dust will settle. There is no such thing for the Xbox. Mm. Yeah, having had a having had a look in the top there does not appear to be any kind of layer to prevent dust it's just the holes in the fan and i don't know long term what that's going to do and i know that se- might seem like such a nitpicky thing to be like oh, what are they? but it is a kind of a design thing that you're like why wasn't that addressed and also i'm not allowed to talk about anything else about it so fuck it i'm going to talk about the fact there's holes directly to the fan <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, I can talk about the controller. Actually, the console and the controller, matte finish to them. Very strange thing about them. The second you touch them, they show up fingerprints like fucking that. Mm. But within like 15 seconds of not touching it, the fingerprints go away. Okay. Like, have you ever had plastics that do that? It shows up fingerprints incredibly quickly. And my first instinct on taking it out the box was, oh my God, this thing fingerprints. Oh my God, how did they let it get through? fingerprinting this bad mm. and i mean they go away they go away pretty quick but it's a weird first impression mm-hmm. the controller is basically just an xbox one controller they're all they're already pretty good um it's a little smaller a little more compact really nice texture on the back of the grips the main thing i think this has got over the base xbox one controller is the d-pad is really nice i can't say for certain but i think it's got like micro switches or something underneath it because it's got proper good eight directional clicks it's still one of those ones where it's a, a cross placed over a circle but if you're trying to do like fighting game inputs 
and you roll from, let's say, left around to down, you feel three distinct clicks as you go left. Okay, now I'm in the, the halfway point between the two. Now I'm at down. And that's great. It is one of the more satisfyingly, like, I feel reliably like it, the controller knows where I'm clicking. And obviously, haven't turned the thing on. Don't know whether, you know, can't say whether that's the case or not, but it feels very much like, oh, this is a very accurate feeling D-pad. It feels very satisfying. Uh, I put up an episode of Accessibility this week that you should totally go watch where I unboxed it, but I also talked about, like, Microsoft's history of accessible packaging and how this does slash does not stand up to things like the packaging they have for the Xbox Adaptive Controller and why I think they should maybe, you know, take those things they know how to do with accessible packaging and do that with their consoles as well, because disabled people also like to open the console that they're going to use their controller with. So you should go watch that, youtube.com slash laurakbuzz. I cannot say much else right now, but I will say more soon. Other than that, thing I can talk a bit more in depth about, I played a game called Little Hope this week. Jim, do I remember right you played through Man of Medan when that came out? Yeah, so I liked Man of Medan. I've been looking forward to giving Little Hope a try. Yeah, so I'll keep, I'll keep spoiler-free on this. Little Hope is the new game in the Dark Pictures anthology, which is... A collection of short little horror games made by Supermassive, the people that did Until Dawn. They're sort of all in the, like, five-ish hour range. Everyone's a different sort of horror genre. Mechanically, this is very similar to Until Dawn and Man of Medan. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Mechanically, the main change they've made, and I think it's a really smart change, is you get an audio and visual cue about a second or so before there's going to be any QuickTime events every time. You will never get thrown, oh quick shit, you need to press a button. There will always be a sound and an icon on screen that's like, hey, where this little circle is, there's going to be a quick time event prompt there in in a second or so. And it's unobtrusive, and it made me feel so much more able to, like, I had a lot fewer of those, oh shit, I didn't realise we weren't in a cutscene now and that character's dead. Well, yeah, you can enjoy the story more if you're not constantly on edge worried you'll be ambushed by the game. Yeah. Mechanically, the other difference I would note is that always in Supermassive's horror games, they've had they've had these, like, character relationship systems and, like, oh, these are the personality traits your character currently has based on the choices you've made and the conversation prompts you've picked. And usually that's more for flavour of how they'll interact when you're not talking with them. Little Hope makes them a bit more important to how the story plays out, but it also gives you more feedback of, like, this is a choice you have made that has has had that kind of impact, or it will highlight to you certain character traits that characters have that are pretty rooted in and you're going to have to work hard if you want to change, that maybe you might want to change. It communicates that information to you pretty clearly, which is good considering that it makes use of that as part of its, like, uh, let's decide what's going to happen. I mean, other than that, it's it's what you've come to expect out of a supermassive game. It is make the narrative choices, do the quick time events. I was a little worried about this one going in because trailers for it have been, like, all over the fucking shop with the different types of horror genres they've been suggesting. Because, like, Man of Medan was pretty clear. It was like, oh, you're going to get, you're going to end up on a spooky military ship and maybe there's ghosts. Like, it was, it was the haunted ship sort of conceit, or at least that's how they presented it. This one in its marketing had, like, 
it's kind of maybe it's about the Salem witch trials. Maybe it's about people living in a bunch of time periods and dying over and over. Maybe it's a Silent Hill thing with the fog and you can't leave. And maybe it's the Omen. Like it, it was throwing a lot of stuff at the wall. Some of the stuff it plays around with is there's some red herrings being thrown around here and that. But I think that overall this. Horror narrative did a really good job of pulling the things it was doing together and justifying here is an overall explanation if if you if you find it like there is a consistent rationale of what of all the things it's trying to do. So with Man of Medan, I thought it was a really good game. I did work out what was going on before the end. This both me and my lovely fiance Jane both didn't see the thing that was happening coming until it, it happened. Both of us, the second we finished it, were like, I need to play that again because, mmm, 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 mmm. You know how Us finishes and you have this moment of, I need to rewatch this because it's just recontextualized a lot of what's happening? Yeah. This felt like that. It hit in that kind of way of, oh shit, I need to go through this again at some point, which I'm glad it's only five hours because I could justify going through that again. Yeah, I had a really good time with this. I continue to really enjoy what Supermassive's doing with these shorter horror things. I think the only other thing I want to chuck in there is I really like that this story involves playable characters who are not all just 20-something horror teens. Because like, until Dawn and of Medan both were like, ah, it's a bunch of uh, attractive mid-twenties teens. This has two of its five playable characters are um, an older professor who is probably in his uh, probably late 60s, early 70s, and a mature student called Angela who is probably in her 80s. And it's really nice to get to experience different kinds of characters have agency in a playable horror narrative because you never get playable old people in horror games. No, you. Re- I mean, you don't get many playable old people at all. Certainly not old, like, women. Like, it's always like, you, you get a grizzled old man, you'll do, like, old snake. Angela, for me, is the highlight of this game. She has a really, or at least in my playthroughs, she had a really interesting narrative arc across the game. She definitely wasn't just here's the frail old woman character like she had some real fight to her and she was she got to be funny and she got to be she got to be a lot of things throughout that game and i really liked her as a character i'm very happy that she got to be a part of this horror game cool so yeah i i had a really good time with it i i think if you enjoyed man of medan you'll probably enjoy this if you like the idea of silent hill meets the salem witch trials this, that's the energy this this has going into it. it. I don't have any real I don't have any real complaints about it. It was another good little horror thing. I'm excited for these to be a semi regular once a year ish thing. Yeah, I like I, I I know the first one wasn't super popular. I got a mixed response. I played it co op uh, remotely and and I feel like that was the optimum way to do it. Yeah, I think I recommended you to do that, didn't I? I think. Uh, I think you may have done. I think you may have done. I'll I'll say this. I, I I feel like I should probably add this. I was very much a proponent of Man of Medan play it in online co-op because it really benefited from you don't know what the other person is doing right now, um, and then you come back together with incomplete information, and it it created some really good horror moments that could only work in that form. Like one of my favorite moments of Man of Medan only existed because I 
played it that way the first time. Little Hope, I feel differently about. Little Hope, it's trying to do something very different, and as such, I don't think it gains as much by being played that way. If anything, mm-hmm. I think you'll get the most out of it if you see all of the content in your first playthrough. Right. I have like a thought about this that I, I'm not explicitly saying, because I feel like there's no unspoilery way to talk about it. Um. I feel like the end of the narrative will not work as well if you have not seen all of every character's scenes. I feel like there is the potential for this game to lose something if you've if if you've not seen Man of Medan was a game about what was happening while you were apart and what you were experiencing. This is a different kind of horror experience that you should probably just see everything. Okay, I shall bear that in mind. Yeah. Who who else has played anything this week? Anyone? Oh shit. Nope. Oh shit! <laughs> I mean, I played some Fall Guys as as I had been continuing to play Fall Guys. It's still Fall Guys. I'm still yeah. occasionally winning a crown. Uh, the the competitions really stiffened up quickly in season two. Yeah, yeah, um, which is fine. Um, it's it's been satisfying, and people I don't feel like people are griefing as much as they used to, or I'm not running into as much of that. I feel like part of that is maybe because some of the new Season 2 games require more focus on what you're doing. There's less space for you to grief, because it's like, I can't waste time griefing, I've got to deal with my own shit. Yeah. Yeah, I still love the the wall climb. Yeah. Uh, that's a, that's a good one. But yeah, still playing Fall Guys, still playing Hades too. Um, but, you know, nothing really to report there other than I keep unlocking stuff now. Yeah. That's all. I'm just unlocking stuff. The only other thing I've played, and I'll keep this brief because this is this is Laura's Pokemon Corner. There's new DLC for Pokemon. The short version, the first DLC they released for Pokemon Sword and Shield was kind of shit. There was a new legendary in it, and it had some utility for building competitive teams, but it was a really small, predictable area, and it was very linear. Go to this place. Okay, here's a new flag. Go over there. It was very handholdy. Only a few hours long. Second DLC, much more impressive. It has a really interesting, complex open world area that is a lot more winding and meandering with a lot of like little hidden paths and a lot more stuff that isn't directly communicated on the map that you have to discover for yourself. The objectives in this new Pokemon DLC are a lot more open. You are basically at the start of the DLC given a bunch of clues to some missions that exist somewhere out in this open world space. Go follow the clues in whatever order you want to do so and try and stumble upon the things that are happening. And it felt like much more of an adventure. It felt much more like I was given a map and some vague hints and like, go, go explore, go find things as you want to get to them rather than just following the the flagpoles, which is a direction I'd really like to see whatever Pokemon comes next learn from because it worked really well. There's no Ekans. There's still no Ekans. Fuck it. There's no Ekin still, I'm sorry. Fuck it. Uh, what there is, is a co-op raid battling thing that I've gotten really into. The short version, you do four big raid battles with other players online. Um, there'll be a legendary at the end. What makes it really exciting for me is the shiny odds in it are ridiculous. With the various prerequisites I have done to get my shiny rates up, one in a hundred Pokemon in that cave is shiny. And for me trying to complete my obsessive collection... That's really ridiculously good. So I've been doing a bunch of online co-op raids with with people and getting a bunch of shiny Pokemon. So I'm I'm back into Pokemon. Pokemon's got me again, as it does a couple of times a year. 
I think that's everything I've played. We've got some newsy bits this week. How are we doing on time? Yeah. Ooh, do we? We do have some newsy bits. Where would we start this week? Oh, hey. Remember a few weeks ago when Cyberpunk was a thing and we heard that, like, ah, oh, they're going to be crunching all the developers and they can't possibly delay the game because they just can't. Impossible. It's impossible to, like, delay the game to not do crunch. We have to do crunch. We have to make this. Of course. The deadline's immovable. Yeah, Cyberpunk got delayed by three weeks. What? It's already gone gold and it got delayed by three weeks. Don't you see? CD Projekt Red has done the impossible. The impossible. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, what? So once again, staff at CD Projekt Red were not told this in advance. Really? I'm stunned to discover this. The first they heard was um was when the the news got tweeted. As has been pointed out, a day before that, the Twitter account did not know because someone tweeted them going, "Hey." Is Cyberpunk definitely coming out on that day before I book the day off work? And the Cyberpunk Twitter account was like, absolutely. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I have seen some people going, oh, they've made this delay so that they can give the work, so that they won't have to work the workers so hard, so that uh, they won't have to crunch them. Fuck off, they're not doing that. If they were doing that, they'd have made a big fucking deal about it in the press release. They've already been doing it. Yeah. Like, that's... Even if they did that, it's a it's a band-aid on an axe wound right now. Halloween reference, because there's sometimes axe killings <laughs> at Halloween. Yeah. No, what it means is they're going to do three extra weeks of crunch on people who thought they already had a date in mind for when they were going to be done with working. That's three extra weeks of mandatory crunch. Woo. That's that's not so good. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I mean, either way, like the crunch has been had on that game. Yeah. Like, yeah. before this whole, you know... But, you know, the the recent little bit. Maybe they switch everyone to a 40-hour work week for the remaining three weeks, and this is actually just them course-correcting for some of the terrible, terrible errors that they still fucking made. Yeah. Maybe that's the case. Although, if I'm, if I'm frank, and usually I'm not, because I'm Conrad, but I'm going to be frank for a moment. Well, you can't be frank, because CD Projekt Red would stuff you down some cis girl's pants for a laugh. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. <clears throat> you can hear me tugging my collar at that. <laughs> um, but, no, it's... They would have... Immediately when the story got out and gave them such fucking terrible press, they would have extended then. They would have delayed the game then. They would have said, you know what? You're right. We're going to push the release of this game out three weeks. Or they'd have made a big deal about it now when they announced it and gone, we're doing this to uh, give our staff um, some extra breathing room. No. They were very clear, that's not the reason, the game is not ready. Right, no, because the, and because they also know that their uh, staff, le- you know, their company leaks like a sieve. Yeah. And whatever the reality is, is going to come out, so they shouldn't bother lying. The, the reality um, seems to be that the people PC and next-gen console versions are fine. This game was always clearly meant to be a next-gen and like top-end PC game. Apparently, the problem is the the current existing gen versions of the game are still not 
working. <sighs> Apparently those versions are the problem. That's a pretty big problem considering the install base. Yeah, yeah, that's that's where a lot of people are going to be putting the, the money in. That that seems to be where the problem is. Initially, I'd seen, I don't know if there's anything to this, but I've seen a lot of people who work in game development going, if your game fails certification, three weeks is how long you have to wait before you can re-attempt to certify it. Oh, mm, I, um, I don't know if that's a th- I don't know if that's uh, a thing. It depends. Okay. Uh, that's that's really that depends um on circumstances. Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm not sure what stage it can it could vary, but that's not crazy depending on the the platform holder. There may be one that does have that requirement and they're not going to stagger release uh of them one console to the next. So if there's one that's holding them up, uh which could very well be the case, uh then they'd all be pushed back. So yeah, reminder everyone, when they said they couldn't delay the game to not crunch, they could have, they just didn't want to. They didn't want to delay they want they would rather crunch well they have they also would have rather had their you know product come out on the day that they thought it was going to by making that crunch happen let me while we're being you know it's very easy to be sarcastic folks it's very easy to start being condescending very easy to look down your nose right but at least we can point to some positivity in this news in the, the CD Projekt Red fans, the people who are fans of the brand oh. rather than the people who made the game, um, have handled this delay um, with grace and tact <laughs> and, and not drowning community managers in death threats. That's totally not what happened. Hey, no. hey, everyone, don't send death threats or even like angry messages to developers and community managers at CD Projekt Red. Hang on. I'm going to I think you could have just stopped at don't send death threats, <laughs> like, regardless of the target. What the fuck is wrong with you? Is it any wonder CD Projekt Red thinks it can act with impunity, thinks that it can treat developers like shit when the individuals in the company will be treated like shit? By the fans. Yeah. They're getting the company they fucking want. Yeah. So, hey, be nice to the people. Like, you know, you know, say shitty things about the board of directors and people who are making all these shitty choices, if you like. But people working on the game, they don't have any fucking control over this. You're, you're, you're waiting three extra weeks for a game. Be nice to people. Don't be shitbags. The whole reason the, the faceless entity of corporation exists is so you can direct your ire at it and not the individuals forced to suffer beneath it. CD Projekt Red, go fuck yourself. Yes. Developers at CG Projekt Red working on that game, I'm really sorry. It sounds like you're going to have a really rough couple of extra weeks and I'm sorry that you were put through that. Both can be true. Yeah. So yeah, that, that, that happened this week. Other thing that happened this week, someone who billed themselves on Twitter as Google Stadia's creative director... I uh, made some comments that got some some headlines and some attention. Well, this was in part the subject of of your video this week, Jim. Right? Yeah. Do you want to do you want to fill us in on definitely Stadia creative director and what he had to say? Right. I mean, you've got two two issues with Alex Hutchinson, right? Yeah. Alex Hutchinson is this like we went fellow went to Twitter. Immediately, the wrong move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, a hot fresh take straight out of twenty thirteen. Uh, suggesting that that Twitch streamers should count themselves very fucking lucky that they're allowed uh, to stream games and that in the real world, if it, you know, if the world worked the right way, uh, Twitch streamers would be paying a license to mm. uh, stream games. Uh, they'd have to pay a 
for the creators mm. um, to make some money off it. <laughs> yes, because it's the creators who wouldn't get that money. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Well, yeah, I mean, that's one of the issues. Like, his first mistake was putting in his bio that he was a creative director at Stadia. <laughs> Are you suggesting that he perhaps was, was lying in his Twitter bio about his job role? I'm shocked and did not know this. Well, here's the thing. I mean, he's made one mistake with a twofold humiliating result because, first of all, people were making fucking fun of him for being involved with Stadia. <laughs> That's already funny when you start getting on your high horse. When I think if, if you're working at Stadia and you're pissed off that people are streaming games, you're only jealous that they're more successful at doing it than you. Now, that's just one example of an insult you could have flung his way if it turned out, and here's the second part of the humiliation, him labelling himself as a creative director at Stadia turned out to be aspirational. This is someone who wishes he was a creative director at Stadia. Wishes! Aspires! Wasn't the situation, correct me if I'm wrong, something like he's creative director on some small game that he would like to be a game on Stadia or something like that? I think it's like his studio was bought by Google or something like that. Yeah. So he's a creative director at a company that makes games for Stadia. That is a Google subsidiary of some kind. So he grossly overstated himself <laughs> there. So that's already, like, he's already sunk his own battleship. He's on a bad footing. Yeah. He then, I mean, let's, let's not forget the reason he's doing this is because um, the music industry was the music industry. Yeah. And so a, a swathe of DMCA takedowns were enacted on Twitch in a way that was handled worse than even YouTube has handled these things. Stuff just gone. People don't know what the infringements were. Um, this is how the music industry works. Record companies are probably like, so I, I would, I mean, they're on par with game publishers. Um, but when it comes to just like overstepping the lines in the name of Everest, the record industry is just, it's, it's, it's on its own little planet. And that's what prompted Hutchinson to start sneering at Twitch streamers. And when you go into an argument standing record labels, you are done. Hmm. You're far gone. You are poisoned in the blood by capitalism. If you're going to stand up and take one for the team and, and die on the hill of defending the music industry and not the creators, because there's the final fucking mistake, as Conrad intimates right at the beginning, is this conflation that I, I, I want to call it naive, but it's not naive. Not when you're someone who's like going to bat that hard for corporations. You know damn well you're, you're sucking up to the, to the company side of things. Because this argument that, oh, they should pay a license, they should pay some sort of recompense for the privilege of doing a Let's Play or a live stream of a game, for the people who made it. <laughs> we don't live in a world, my friend, where the people who made the game are the people who owned the game. Not if we're talking about mainstream game development. Wait, hey, oh, wait, you, yes, you mean to tell me we live in, in, in a society in which the people who perform labor do not receive the benefit of the fruits of their labor? <gasps> Shock and horror. This is the first I've heard of this. Yeah, well, I mean, here's the thing. We live in that society, as, as the Jokerman would say, right? <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. But we would not live in that society if Ninja gave $5 to Activision. <laughs> if Ninja gave five, $5 a month to Activision, right? 
One QA tester could afford something in Activision's cafeteria. That's what could be done. We could finally get some sandwiches to these QA testers. That's where the money would go. No, it wouldn't. Alex Hutchinson's talking shit. So I'm going to put on my disgusting capitalist hat for just a second mm. and say that I do see a rhetorical argument rooted in our inter intellectual property ownership structure in which Alex Hutchinson is on some level correct that were it chosen to be enforced, this could be eliminated. However, where I take issue is their suggestion that the people who should bear the burden of that cost in licensing are the individual streamers of the product. Mm -hmm. When it's the platform that streams the product that earns the most and ultimately has the most to lose mm -hmm. by losing access to that content. I see. You see, the thing is, though, is that's not just some individual you could point at to blame for all of the problems while sidestepping the fact that capitalism is the problem that presents itself as the cure. Um, if you just point at someone live streaming the vanishing of Ethan Carter and say that they're ruining uh, the game industry, that's easier than addressing any sort of systematic problem or, or examining how these platforms and how how these companies uh, operate outside of the realms of accountability while putting all of the responsibility on the very people generating the content that makes them the money in the first place. Well, that may change in the United States fairly soon. It seems that like both sides, like if there's a, a, a tech related or internet related issue that the partisans of this country have started to strangely agree on it's uh section 230 of the digital communications act which is the shield that has existed since the mid 90s that allowed platforms to have its users post anything that they wanted to with no accountability towards the platform itself they were legally protected now we have a situation where, on the one hand, the Democrats are saying this has allowed a lot of false information uh, to flourish. And the Republicans are saying that the platforms are using this to deplatform right wing speech, which is fundamentally untrue. <laughs> hey, hey, if you leave YouTube autoplaying long enough, it will never accidentally bring you to the leftist of the left wing content. There's there's a reason that there's a whole joke we made earlier about, ah, YouTube, it's taken me to the right wing again. There's a study that that just came out that has sort of seeks to prove the all the opposite, that more right-wing conservative viewpoints are getting distributed to broader audiences through Facebook because the algorithm specifically gives them the content that they are seeking, which is that. So if that goes away, if Section 230 goes away, there will be a seismic fundamental shift in the way the internet operates, which is why you see Mark Zuckerberg already saying things like, oh, Facebook would support you know, changing, you know, making amendments to Section 230 and making it because this is their fucking dinner right there. Um, if they become accountable, there will be so many goddamn lawsuits immediately. Mm -hmm. one, one thing that I think is like part of this conversation as well is 
I've seen people talking about the hypotheticals of, oh, well, if if they decide to pull the plug, and it's like, well, here's the thing. That would only work if every video game company agreed to, at the same day, on the same time, start enforcing that. That is anti-capitalistic, because you know that as soon as one or two or three do it, there's going to be a handful of others say, hey, we're not doing it over here, come buy our shit. The second that, say... EA goes, hey, you can't stream EA games anymore. We're, we're not going to let you. We're going to make you be in trouble if you do. You need to pay us. 2K is going to turn around and go, you can stream our game. And now yeah. suddenly theirs is the sports game that everyone is watching on stream. You've introduced a competitive wedge into your market. Yeah, you've gone, hey... Streaming is a really popular way for people to, like, engage with our games. No, you can't engage with our games there now. Only those of our competitors. And that is not going to go well for you. Nah. Like, no one company would do this. They would need them all to do it. It's over. This is going to be a thing forever. What gets me is, is as I said in my video... The arguments are so old. Yeah. They're yeah. so old. I had so many of these arguments back in... I mean, I started covering YouTube stuff more in sort of like 2013, 2014. And it was the exact same arguments. And many of them mirroring the arguments about, you know, other things like used games and piracy and VHS tapes. And Lost MP3 sales. MP3 players. And, yeah, all this assumption that that if you're... If you're Engaging with a product anyway, except one that has been completely dominated at every level of purchase and post-sale by the seller, it's somehow a lost sale. If if they could force it so the only way to experience something was through them, then you would definitely pay them, is their logic. And in some cases, it might be true if you could 100% force people. But as has been proven time and time again, the best way to get people to actually spend money is to make it more convenient than nicking it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the same has, like, like working with a problem instead of trying to litigate it or shame it yeah. out of existence. Like, that's the way to do it. And we, we are seeing publishers working with the, in this case, a non-problem. Let's Plays and streams were never a problem, but the game industry has turned it to its significant advantage. Yes. This is over. Yeah. Again, hey, Alex... There's a reason that when games come out, lots of, of PR companies and publishers go, hey, we're going to give away the game to, for free to streamers, because they can see that giving that copy to a streamer is to their benefit, not to their detriment. Like, it is, it is, a, it is a decided thing that publishers on the whole go, yes, it is to our benefit for streamers to not only not have to pay to stream the game, but that we just give them the game to do it with. We had a couple of other quick bits of news this week. So we've started to see the potentially what might be how Nintendo deals with the Switch not being as powerful as other consoles that are about to release. As of today, con oh, oh, sorry, one of them is today, one's coming up soon. As of today, you can play Control on your Switch. Uh, soon you'll be able to play Hitman 3 on the Switch. Much like it happened, I think, in Japan with Resident Evil 7, this is achieved by streaming. Hmm. You are buying a copy of the game to stream to your Switch. Ba 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 ba. Yeah. So you don't physically purchase the game and it's not running on your Switch, which is its whole own thing. The the only thing I will say in in like the defense of this, at least in the way it's it's set up, you can download like the client for control for free and I think play like the first 15 minutes to be like, 
see how this runs on your internet connection. Are you happy with the quality of this experience before you put down money? Well, that's something. And like, you know, you're still paying for something that you might not have access to forever, and that's not ideal. Yeah. It's an interesting thing that I'm curious to see if will be more of a thing going forward. I feel like this might be Nintendo trying to position itself for the future. Watch Dogs Legion review embargo went up today. Yeah, Ubisoft sent review copies to several outlets, but it doesn't look like they sent along any updates about um, investigations going into the years and years of abuse allegations. No, years. no, funny that, funny that. A lot of those reviews no. didn't mention that. You know what they all? Yeah. You know what they also didn't do. They didn't warn reviewers that um, maybe on one specific version of a console, your console might get bricked if you play the game. Oh, no. Several big gaming websites when the embargo went up today were like, hey, so we don't have a review because Watch Dogs Legion broke our Xbox. Wow. Wow. It's nice to see the press reporting on something Ubisoft's done that's wrong. Yeah. Reporting on a negative thing they've done in their review. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice yeah. to see it. Well, so, Apparently this only impacts if like the the disc version of the game if you don't download any updates or patches. The Xbox One X, that version of the game you can get about 6 to 8 hours in and then there's a story mission that will make your Xbox One X start heating up until the console has to give you a warning saying it's turning itself off because it has overheated too much and some people's didn't turn back on some people's turned back on but they needed like three or four hours of cooldown wow yeah so that's a thing just to be aware of just be aware of that everyone Hmm. Uh, much like you should be aware of Ubisoft's uh, many many allegations oh be aware of them uh the, the only the only other couple of things very quick one you know how they added a Minecraft character to Smash Bros? Yes, and still no one's impressed. <laughs> 2018 is when I called it. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you called it. No one's impressed by this one. You know what I am impressed by? They accidentally made his victory pose look like he was holding his dick. It was meant to be a piece of meat, but it was a meat-shaped object with a bulbous end. And Well, yeah, it was meant to be a piece of meat, all right. Yeah, Either yeah. interpretation. Yeah, they've patched out the dick meat. He's not got dick meat no more. Oh. Oh no, it was a big shame. And last thing was Phil Spencer over at Microsoft talking about the future of what Xbox might be. Talking about the fact that maybe, maybe at some point in the future, Microsoft would like to have a dongle you could stick in your TV that just works with Game Pass and streams your games and basically goes, hey, you pay for a Game Pass subscription, you've got Netflix for games on your tally. Oh, I just love Hearing about Phil Spencer's dongle. Mm. <laughs> I'm liking where Microsoft is taking this. Like, there are worries about, you know, these services and companies taking the piss out of them, like piss with them rather. But Microsoft's just whole approach has, has been so far, get our platform in front of as many people as possible and give them the best reason to have it. And so far... It's... That's what Windows was. Yeah. And this is the thing is I don't necessarily... I wouldn't suggest this is like the only way to play an Xbox thing, but like for, for someone like me that's got an Xbox in the house, if I'm like, oh, I want to play on the other telly, I don't want to lug the Xbox upstairs, a little dongle I could plug in that I could just be streaming it to me, Tally. Yeah, sure. Probably use that. I, I I can see people who would never buy a console, but are like, oh, I can play Gears of War on my TV if I buy a little dongle and a little subscription. 
I could see this being a thing people would get behind. Yeah. It's not their only offering. Microsoft very much seems to be leaning into, fuck it, play our games wherever the fuck you want to play them. We'll get them everywhere if we can. I think in the same interview, he was like, we would love to get games, uh, Game Pass or a streaming version of Game Pass on Switch. Like we want, we want to get, get our games and Games Pass wherever the fuck we can get them, which I'm not opposed to. More places to play their things. Yeah. 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 You know, I've got the bloody Game Pass on my phone. I've got a little controller thing that turns basically the phone into a little switch. Yeah. Um, that can play, you know, Gears of War, not brilliantly, admittedly, on a little phone controller, but there's other stuff on it. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's everything we got for this week. They were, they were done. Yay! Yeah. 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 Well, you know what, Laura? Some people might not be done because they're so desperate for entertainment because Cyberpunk isn't coming out and now they're sad and the, the worst part of Cyberpunk's development so far has clearly been a three-week delay. Oh. Um, that's clearly the worst thing that ever could have happened involving this game. Um, so where could people go to fill the empty hole in their lives, Laura, that might involve stuff you've done? Yeah, Laura K. Buzz in all the places. Twitter, Twitch, YouTube, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. As little as a dollar a month means that I can keep doing this as a job. YouTube. Every Friday, I upload episodes of Accessibility, which is a show about accessibility and representation in the games industry, except this week I uploaded it Wednesday. It's up already because I did a video about accessible packaging and the stuff that Microsoft's doing with that, particularly how the Xbox One X packaging stacks up with it. So go watch that. And there's there's, there's just a regular unboxing if you want that too. Um, I mainly did that so that I had the footage to use in accessibility. Other than that, I stream Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays at 10pm UK, 5pm Eastern, 2pm Pacific. Except if you're listening to this on Thursday, the Friday you're listening to this, it's 9pm UK because time zones change differently in different countries. But 10pm UK, 5pm Eastern, 2pm Pacific. There's books. Uncomfortable Labels. It's about being an autistic trans person and it's out now where books are sold or as an audiobook on laurakbuzzstore.com. Things I Learned from Mario's Butt is a silly and serious coffee table book of video game character butt reviews. It's coming out on February 4th, 2021 and I think my author copies arrive with me like this weekend. I know that like I'm going to be signing copies soon. We're, we're going to try and get them out to everyone before Christmas, everyone who ordered it on Unbound. I had an email that was like, can we send hundreds and hundreds of books to your house at once for you to sign. Do you have space? So that's going to be fun. Um, and then there's Gender Euphoria, which is a uh, an anthology of non-cis people's positive gender-affirming stories, and that's coming out, I believe, June 10th, 2021. Other than that, there's podcasts, Pixel Squirt, it's about video game character porn, Queer and Pleasant Strangers, where I talk about things that aren't exclusively video games. You can hear my board game opinions. I've been playing Pandemic Legacy Season 0, and I have thoughts on it. There's Dice Funk, which is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I'm on Seasons 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. They're all self-contained stories, and I'm on that with... Comrade. Oh, yes, so you are. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Conrad Zimmerman. Uh, you can support me on Patreon um, at patreon.com slash fistshark. You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda from me at Pinful Truth or audiobooks at uh, conradreads.com. Uh, other than that, um, Jim, don't you have a Patreon? Fuck yes, I do. Dot com slash Jimquisition, thank you. And also Twitch. Jim Sterling on that. And, and yeah. That's about it. 
yeah, I, I'm really glad that you came and listened, friends. And I'm glad that my friends here were recording it with me. Oh. <laughs> See you next Bye. time. Bye. Bye.